on the program tonight, pushing poison. Why were there drugs in the daycare? The fentanyl deaths in kids under the age of five, jumping 590% in just three years. An epidemic hitting small towns and big cities alike. Cash, gold bars, a Mercedes Benz. The senator and his wife accepted hundreds of thousands of dollars of bribes. What do you think it takes to bribe a U.S. senator these days? Howard Stern, America's new moral compass. What a sexist thing to say. Like, what a convoluted, nutty thing to say. Wait, the guy who made this joke is outraged? At least if you're going to go kill yourself and kill all the kids, like, why wouldn't you have some sex? And unnecessary roughness. Another football game, another brawl in the stands. When will the NFL crack down on out-of-control fans? Good Friday evening. I'm Elizabeth Pran. First tonight, the deadly fentanyl epidemic is hitting our most vulnerable population, our babies. More than 13,000 children died of opioid poisonings between 1999 and 2021. So in 1999, 5% of those deaths were tied to fentanyl. Fast forward to two years ago, the drug was responsible for 94% of all opioid deaths among kids. Take, for example, this story. You know it. Nicholas Feliz Dominici. He died of exposure to fentanyl at his New York daycare. It's been consuming headlines. He was one year old. It was his first week at the facility. Prosecutors say that people running the daycare were moving massive amounts of illegal drugs, and the kids were a cover-up. We allege that the defendants poisoned four babies and killed one of them because they were running a drug operation from a daycare center, a daycare center, a place where children should be kept safe, not surrounded by a drug that could kill them in an instant. Today is Friday. In theory, that little boy should be getting tucked in. I mean, it's after seven in New York. In theory, it's been a long week. He's been playing with his peers. He should be going to sleep. Tonight, his parents don't have a baby to put to bed. He's dead. A former high-ranking DEA official is one of many people who are really sounding the alarm. This has to get people's attention. If we can't protect our children from these animals, I don't, I don't know what to do. This, to me, is the worst I've seen. One kilo of pure fentanyl. I'm in St. Louis now. It could take out the city of St. Louis. But it's not just happening in St. Louis. It's not just happening in big cities. A quick search of the word fentanyl on Google, you'll find this. In Minnesota, White Bear Township man pleads guilty in woman's fentanyl overdose death. Officials warn of powdered fentanyl circulating in Boulder County. Fayetteville man arrested for exposing woman to fentanyl. So despite efforts by Congress to do something, deaths are still rising. There were 67,000 in 2018. In 2021, there were nearly 110,000. That's a 64% increase in a very short period. And listen, we've known about the rise in deaths for years, but the fact that it's now affecting children is unthinkable. Researchers at Yale write fentanyl is increasingly taking a toll on the most vulnerable in this country. In 2021 alone, there were 133 deaths from fentanyl among children younger than the age of five. 
We must do something to protect these kids from such a lethal drug. Let's bring in our panel, shall we? Dr. Lakshman Swamy, a pulmonary critical care doctor at Mass Health, and Tracy Walder, former staff operations officer at the CIA's Counterterrorism Center. Tracy, I want to start with you. How did we get here? You know, I think part of the problem is that this is truly a global issue and a global epidemic. You know, we have to remember, really, China is supplying some of the chemical precursors to these drugs. And then you obviously have Mexico, which is finishing the product and then distributing it here in the United States. And I think part of the issue is that we need to take a holistic approach. Yes, obviously, we need to have law enforcement on the ground. I mean, when I was an FBI agent, I never saw anything like what we're seeing now. This is absolutely insanity to me. But I also think that we need to remember about the global nexus of all of this and be putting sanctions on some of these countries. And I think that got sort of forgotten in the beginning of all of this. You know, Dr. Swami, I want to weave you in the conversation and really talk a little about the emotional side, because I suppose in some ways you've watched this decline in real, tra- in real time. Can you tell us a little bit about your observations from a physician standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. You know, first of all, my heart goes out to this family and all those families. I mean, I have three kids that were one year old not so long ago. I, I'm, it's like hard not to be tearing up thinking about this uh, one year old. I mean, uh, you know, we see this every day. Right. In ICUs across the country, adult and child, we see fentanyl overdose and we see death. I see, you know, people coming in with severe brain damage because they were barely caught in the moment. And it's horrific to everyone involved all the time. It is truly happening all the time everywhere. That can't be downplayed. And to me, in this case, with a child in this daycare situation, uh, I think an important thing to remember that it, it's it's so concentrated, it's so potent fentanyl. It's like having a loaded gun in the in the house or in the facility, right? It doesn't matter that it's under underneath the floorboards or something. I'm sure it was out on the floor. Somehow that fentanyl got into this kid's probably mouth. It's a one year old. They put everything in their mouth, right? And it doesn't take very much. It's heartbreaking. It really is. Uh, and- you know, Tracy, you talked about a holistic approach, and in fact, we have um, some video of, because cops are at risk too, right? They not, don't necessarily trained or they're keeping up on how to handle it. My question to you is, uh, are we focusing on the right thing? And when we talk about law enforcement, are they able to tackle this? Are they trained? Are they prepared? So yes and no. I think we are focusing on some of the right things and some of not the right things. And, you know, I I'm a parent myself. I have a young one as well. It's my understanding that this fentanyl was on their nap mats, which might have been how they came into contact with it. We have to remember that this daycare did pass a surprise inspection just a few days prior on September 9th, which is crazy to me. And so I think we also need to be looking at some of this. How did that get past inspection? They had pill presses in there. How, how did that get through a surprise inspection? And that's a little bit mystifying to me. I think law enforcement is in a good place to handle this, but some of the supporting entities to law enforcement are not. And that is part of the issue, one of the biggest issues that I see, because I think had they been trained when they went in to do this surprise inspection, I I don't think fentanyl, quite frankly, was on their mind. But I think the reality is it needs to be on their mind because this is the reality of what we're facing. 
And reality and numbers, uh, doctor, I, I, I read this statistic. It said fentanyl poisoning in kids up 3,000 percent since 2013. From a doctor's standpoint, from a medical standpoint, if we're not able to talk about prevention, because obviously it's here and it's getting ingested. So how can we talk about treatment? I, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying these words, but do there need to be mass education to daycares, to schools? I mean, it's almost it, it's stranger than fiction when you say it out loud. But do we need to be having this conversation? It, I think it, we do need to. And it, it is it is, you know, one is too many and it's far more than one. So the way I say it is, first of all, you can't get fentanyl exposed um, through your skin unless you have like a specially made patch. So, you know, even on the play mat, touching it wouldn't be enough. But obviously kids are touching it, putting their hands in their mouths. It had to either, you know, it's got to go in either through the ingestion, like eating it, drinking it sort of thing, breathing it, right? Or um, in some cases through a patch specifically like that or through the vein. It's not happening accidentally in those ways, but it, it is everywhere. The answer to your question is that there is an antidote um, and it's very easy to use. It's naloxone, Narcan. It's now available readily everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think that similar to how we have um, AEDs in gyms and in airports to shock people's hearts when they have a heart attack in the moment and collapse, um, we need to have Narcan available universally because fentanyl, unfortunately, is universal. So you can catch it. You can intervene. There was a very brief window to do that with this child. All right. Well, I, I, like you said, absolutely devastating story. It's unfortunate that we're even having this conversation. I'm grateful uh, that you're, you're both joining us tonight. Hopefully, uh, the conversation will start to change. All right, switching gears now. The governor of New Jersey is calling on Senator Bob Menendez to step down. It comes as the senator is accused of taking bribes from foreign nationals. Facing pressure, Menendez just stepped down from the powerful Foreign Relations Committee. But remember, he's one of the most influential lawmakers in Washington. He's actually leading the fight against fentanyl. He's been very vocal just last month. He touted a bill to target opioid traffickers, particularly runners from other countries. But now he's accused of accepting lavish gifts from, among others, Egyptian nationals. The indictment alleges that through that relationship, the senator and his wife accepted hundreds of thousands of dollars of bribes in exchange for Senator Menendez using his power and influence to protect and to enrich those businessmen and to benefit the government of Egypt. Attorneys laid out evidence including $480,000 in cash in one of his suit pockets, a new Mercedes worth about $60,000, stashes of gold bars worth about $150,000. The senator responded to the indictment with this, and I quote, For years, forces behind the scenes have repeatedly attempted to silence my voice and dig my political grave. Those behind this campaign simply cannot accept that a first-generation Latino American from humble beginnings could rise to be a U.S. senator. Menendez's latest charge comes six years. You may remember this after his trial in a different corruption case. That ended in a hung jury. Joining us now is Chris Hahn, the host of Aggressive Progressive Podcast, also a News Nation contributor. Chris, I'm so grateful that you're here. Um, I, I'm, I was a little bit taken aback at his statement. We're talking about a, a corruption charge, and then he brought it into his Latino heritage. Um, can you square that circle for me, sir? Well, look, he's been charged before. And he's beaten those charges before. And I think he's going to fight these 
Whether or not he beats them or not remains to be seen, but he's innocent until proven guilty, so let's see what happens. Uh, I think the Supreme Court has made it very difficult to charge officials with public corruption. We've seen this from other officials having their cases overturned. You have to really prove a quid pro quo. We're seeing it with uh, Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court. We're seeing it with the former governor of Virginia and others uh, who are really not getting charged or being found guilty or convicted of this kind of corruption. But one thing I will say is that seeing these charges brought today should calm down some of the people that are saying that, you know, the Justice Department is politically controlled. I find it hard to believe that uh, Joe Biden would ask the Justice Department to try and upset the balance of power in the United States Senate. So for all those out there crying that Donald Trump is being prosecuted for political purposes, now you know better. Well, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate I appreciate where you took that. Now, when, when we talk about the Justice Department, we, we heard their press conference. They laid out some pretty substantial evidence. I want to bring you back to 2016, 2017 with the hung jury. A lot of people are saying, you know, why wasn't why, why didn't we see any attempts to go after that corruption charge again the first time, as opposed to maybe seeing a pattern develop? And now we're seeing even more serious allegations allegations here. Yeah, I mean, look, these are serious charges and he's going to have a serious defense. And you're already hearing calls from Democrats in his home state for him to step down. He has stepped down from uh, his committee chairmanship, I think, by rule in the United States Senate. You must do that. Uh, But again, you know, he's been tried before and he's beaten these charges before. He will be tried again, and I believe in, in the justice system, and I believe in our system of justice, and I believe that you should let that process play out, just as I believe it should play out for Donald Trump and his you know, 92 indictments. Uh, I think that we should allow the courts to do their work and understand that they are doing it, this outside of the political sphere, which is the sphere that you and I are inhabiting right now. Right, right. Well, Chris Hahn, I'm grateful that you joined us tonight. Uh, Like you said, a deep web uh, of corruption and then some serious allegations and quite a bit of evidence. So we will see how it plays out. Chris Hahn, thank you for joining us on this Friday night. Appreciate it. Thanks. So Thank you've you. heard the saying, right? Build Ford, build Ford tough. But one illegal business cannot compete with this car company. And it can't because it's actually almost larger in sheer size. Just wait until you hear how many thousands of folks work inside Mexico's fifth largest business and why you should care. And Howard Stern wants to be America's new moral compass. Yes, the shock jock who really built almost a billion dollar empire on being crude. Now he says he's woke. Um, after all the corruption we have mentioned this hour, we decided maybe America needs a new moral cop. So how does Howard Stern sound? Sometimes the stories just write themselves. This is one of them. We're talking about a man who has made almost a billion dollars in his career, arguably putting people down, offending the unoffendable. Turns out he's Mr. Nice Guy. In fact, he's woke even. He said this week, I'm woke, mother. I mean, you can fill it in, right? You can see it on your screen. I'm not going to read it.
and I love it. It comes after Stern, Stern spent the week attacking Colorado Representative Lauren Boebert after she was escorted from a Denver production of Beetlejuice. And it comes after he, well, took on Bill Maher for being sexist. What about his first wife? She must feel, I feel really bad for her. So I go, what? What a sexist thing to say. Like, what a convoluted, nutty thing to say. So Stern really has built an empire on being misogynist, right? I mean, he has a history of comments about women. I mean, they're endless. Misogyny was good for business. His whole brand was built around it. He even has a history with Colorado that is far darker than anything Bobert has ever been accused of doing. After 1999's Columbine massacre, Stern joked on the air about really good-looking girls running out of the school with hands over their heads, and that the two male killers, again, these are, are his words, should have tried to have sex with the victims. He said, if I was going to kill some people, I'd take them out with sex. We thought about playing that tape, but to be honest, it's really... It's really so disgusting. We didn't even want to hear it. I mean, 12 students and a teacher were murdered at Columbine. In fact, I was living there at the time. The hypocrisy of this new woke Stern may be a little bit too much for diehard fans. Joining me now, May Mailman, Vice President of Restoring Integrity and Trust in Elections and former legal advisor to President Trump. May, you know, I said it there. I said, you know, some things are just stranger than fiction. Do you believe him? No, you know, this is, he knows that it doesn't matter what he says. There are some people who can get away with saying anything. And I thought, and I think it is the case, that in today's society, men should not comment on women's dating preferences and whether they went too far on a date. And if you're going to say something, then at least don't be hypocritical about it. But those rules apply to some people. I think if Mike Pence would have come out here and said, well, I really don't agree with Lauren Boebert's uh, dress or dating habits, I think the national media and a lot of people would have something to say about it. But Howard Stern fits into a group of people who basically says, you know, the, the party line on a whole range of issues. And so he has a long leash to not just be hypocritical, you know, everybody's hip hypocritical, what, whatever. But he gets to criticize women in a way that no one, that a lot of people cannot. So is it just that you reach a level of fame or you reach, um, you know, a tax bracket that seems awfully unobtainable for someone like me, and then you can just be reformed and just be forgiven? So it, it it's not wealth. Maybe back ages ago in this country, there there could have been something that attached to status or wealth. But I think that you've seen people like Elon Musk who used to be on what they considered the right side and their uh, their wealth hasn't changed. And if anything, their wealth has grown. But all of a sudden now they're getting looked at by the SEC and people are throwing a fit because he's buying Twitter. 
because all of a sudden it looks like his politics has changed, right? So he now falls on the right side. Of course, people like Elon Musk would say their politics haven't changed. They've always been the same. And the thing that you're supposed to believe, the thing that you're supposed to say has moved further and further and further to the left. And Howard Stern is perfectly right. happy to make that march left but, and the rest of know, Americans. When I, when I, but when we... When we speak specifically of Stern, I mean, I, I remember, this is a shock jock, so, I, I mean, I, I haven't been listening to him in recent years, but I do remember, especially at the height of his popularity, it was almost hard to listen to. I remember listening to it because I almost felt rebellious, and that's just not my definition of someone who is woke. And he's also saying, you know, I believe in vaccines, therefore I am woke. Well, maybe some of us believe in vaccines, but we don't classify ourselves in a certain group. So I'm just, what is his end game here? Well, uh, he got the clicks. He's getting the likes. People who maybe thought Howard Stern might be dead or something by now. I mean, I, I don't I don't listen to Howard Stern because when Howard Stern was at his height of popularity, my parents wouldn't have let me listen to Howard Stern. So I think he's got that. But also he just thinks that things are consequence free because he's right. It is consequence free. And so it doesn't matter to him. There's no there's no thought process. Maybe somewhat like a Donald Trump. Well, why did he do this? Well, what is he thinking? Well, what's his end game? I don't ever try and play that game with President Trump. And I guess maybe we shouldn't try and play that game with Howard Stern. It is words. You know, but my question to you, you know, who is he going to be booking on his show now? Because I'm not, I don't really know if like women who are, are woke, if they fit that definition, if they're like seriously pro strippers. I don't know. Right. Maybe it's just nuns from now on. It is just uh, people who got married young. But no, it, it, it will continue to be the same range of women who want to talk about their breasts with an old Howard yeah. Stern for some unknown reason. But it's OK because we're dunking on Lauren Boebert and Lauren Boebert is. Uh, she is a Republican, and not only that, she's a rowdy Republican. And when we criticize Republicans from the left, that's okay. Yeah. All right. Well, May Mailman, thank you so much for joining us. Awfully perplexing. Um, it's a, a classic case of hypocrisy. Whether or not you're a fan, whether or not you listen, you have to acknowledge that there's some serious hypocrisy here. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks. Coming up next, the U.S. Marine Corps has 177,000 active duty members, almost the exact number of people employed by Mexico's deadly drug cartels. Imagine trying to stop a snowballing industry. We'll have more coming up next. They're real fast. And I know this because we have smugglers from, coming from Houston, Florida, Austin, everywhere to pick up those, those immigrants. There's a connection there. Welcome back. Maybe no surprise to you, another crazy fight broke out last night during Thursday night football between a group of men and women at the 49ers Giants game in San Francisco. The video, of course, has gone viral. Millions of views as you see a young woman loses her wig. 
But it's far from the first fan fight this year. There were several fights this past weekend across the country as more and more football stadiums are seeing brawls break out with angry fans. It's practically happening in every game. Did you see this one, the fight between 49ers fans? They were soundly beating the Giants, still fighting. Chris Cuomo is here, the uh, expert on all things fighting. Although, Chris, I don't suspect you've ever lost a wig at a game, have you? Uh, no, it's still attached. That's good, right? How's it doing up there? Uh, look, we should never be... Did you see what I was just doing there? That, you, that did not get the reaction I was waiting for. <laughs> Sorry, I, can't, I can you see you, but I can't hear you. There we go. You there we can go. You, can you see what I'm doing with my head? There you go. All right. All right, good. There you go. Now you're no laughing. No way. Yeah. You know, see, right? nobody would pick a fight with you. That thing's not coming off. Well, this toupee oh. is well glued on. Uh, I don't know how toxic it is, but, Fantastic. you know, beauty first. Listen, my friend, mm -hmm. uh, we cannot mm -hmm. be surprised by the violence and brutality of American culture. We give ourselves way too much credit for being civilized. We're simple people, especially men. And when you mix it with alcohol, like that little can of liquid confidence he has in his hand, they'll hit women, they'll hit men, women will fight with women, men will hit women. We do savage things all the time because it's what we reward. A man has got to be a big, muscular guy who's aggressive and alpha and he can kick your ass, all that. And we don't reward the right things. And it's the part of school shootings, it's the part of violence, it's the part of drugs, it's the part of our governance that we don't want to deal with, which is, because it's not, it's not easy, it's not cool, it's not sensational. We have forgotten how to be decent okay, people. So, okay, I'm going to ask you a personal question here, and it's not going to be, when we talked about dog versus cat people, are you a baseball or a football person? And I'm going to ask you also controversially, do you think there's more fights at football or baseball games? Uh, I don't know that the fans at one would necessarily be more or less violent than others. I think it's probably a straight line across most sports. Uh, I guess I prefer to watch football. You know, my father was a professional baseball player. I have a lot of respect for the sport. I sucked at oh. it. Um, but... Um, look, I also have been in a lot of scraps, uh, and I regret it. Oh. And I tell my 17-year-old son uh, that that is weakness. I know it feels good. I know it sounds good. Um, but it won't feel good when you're doing it. Your hands are going to kill you. And every time you get hit, you're going to remember it for a long, long time. And you may look different for the rest of your life. And it is surrendering to the least uh, of our sensibilities. Um, but, I believe you have me, a young like, man what? on your show. Who may have been a little bit scrappy himself. Am I right? <laughs> He's still scrappy, by the way. Geraldo Rivera <laughs> is going to be here. And I'll tell you what, he would take a poke at me right now as fast as he ever would. Um, but look, I, you know, I, I don't judge people's character about, you know, how they want to carry themselves. But, you know, we're trying to make a story, not you. I, I'm doing the same thing. I'm doing these stories about the violence and the sports and we're trying to figure out how to cover it. It's who we are. It's what we reward. Why be surprised? It's like covering the fact that we're fat. Yeah. Of course we're fat. Look what we eat. All right, well, who's not fat? Sean Penn, I believe he's on, on your show tonight, too. You've got, you've got a big lineup tonight. Talk about a Friday night Sean fun night. Penn, yep, Sean Penn is the real deal. And this film, Superpower, that he did with Aaron Kaufman, his co-director, 
um, is powerful and shows you how we got into Ukraine and what it is about for those people, which is a missing piece in our understanding. And Geraldo's here with me to talk drugs and the reality of what we can control and how we can control it, which will is an important conversation. Well, I've never seen anything like fentanyl, and I've been in the drug game for 28 years, personally and professionally. Well. Well, I mean, uh, Geraldo, being a former Fox alum, my, myself, huge fan, you're going to have a fabulous show, Chris. And it's okay if you got a little scrappy. You know, I'm okay with that. I've, I've been to a couple baseball games myself. Maybe I got a little scrappy over my hubby. It's okay. It's okay. But everyone who is watching our show and more needs to watch tonight. Chris Cuomo, thank you so much. Huge show. And then on Tuesday, this is big news. Chris Cuomo is live in East Palestine, Ohio. We've been covering that story, talking live with the community, uh, fighting for a much bigger fight than anything scrappy. They want answers. They want help after that devastating train derailment. Tune in Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, only on News Nation. Coming up, nearly every Republican running for the presidency at some point had to go through him, if you will. Now, Rupert Mur Murdoch is stepping away from Fox News. How will that affect the race in 2024? Huge news this week. Rupert Murdoch is stepping down from Fox News, handing the reins of his vast media empire to Lachlan, his son. But if his farewell letter to his employees is any indication, he may not go too quietly. He writes in part, I will be watching our broadcast with a critical eye and reaching out to you with thoughts, ideas and advice. He also writes, elites have open content for those who are not members of their rarefied class. Most of the media is in cahoots with those elites. Full disclosure, I am a veteran of Fox News myself. I spent well over a decade at the network in multiple capacities on and off the air. Niall Stanich is here, a White House columnist for our partners at The Hill, someone who I've interviewed before on that exact platform. Niall, I'm so great that you're here with me today. I'm, you know, I'm curious, and we've talked about politics before. Do you think this is going to impact 2024? I'm not sure that it's going to have a very direct impact, and I'll tell you why, Elizabeth. Rupert Murdoch has built this apparatus with Fox News and with his other publications and outlets. And so the fact that he is taking a step back doesn't really change or eliminate the fact that that apparatus is there. Now, it does perhaps mean that people don't have to directly win his favour quite as directly, but the influence is still there. It is still one of the main ways to reach any kind of conservative-leaning audience. You know, initially when it came out, I mean, it was big news, right? All the networks were covering it. We had uh, the phrases seismic shift, a change of the landscape, really quite jarring. And I'm curious if it, especially after today's news, if it will stay that way. Well, in the sense that, I mean, I think the landscape will ultimately change because the media landscape is changing. And the other thing that I would stress about Rupert Murdoch personally is that he does have both a capacity and a willingness to pick winners. I remember this from the other side of the Atlantic when his um, news outlets became supporters of Tony Blair in the late 1990s. That wasn't because Rupert Murdoch had become some kind of social democrat. He realized that Blair was going to win an election. So I think that kind of uh, importance or that kind of tendency that he has to pick winners is specific to him. That is something that is a little different. 
Well, and it sounds like his ear, obviously, is, is still going to be quite open. And I'm curious about your take before I let you go on Lachlan. Well, I mean, as far as we know, Lachlan is, well, clearly he's the chosen successor. He is in that position because he is presumed to be the best person to carry the baton forward. Rupert Murdoch obviously has had much more tense relationships with other of his children. So in that respect, he is clearly looking to Lachlan to someone who can bring continuity, but bring his media organization into a new era. Yeah, and, and I think, uh, like you said, and we put up a, a full screen, he really does have just an enormous empire. And I remember initially when Roger Ailes stepped down, um, you know, everyone thought that there was going to be this large ship uh, shift, and really the, the ship, in some sense, stayed the course and, and adapted. So, and I, and I, I would love to ask you just one more question, if I can. Um, do you think the viewership will change? I don't think the viewership will change because I think the viewership... Okay. tunes in for a I'm sensibility, so sorry, not Niall. an I'm going to have to interrupt you. I wish we had more time. I'm so grateful that you joined us. I'm Elizabeth Pran in for Leland. Thank you so much for watching. Brian Enton is next. I'm Chris Cuomo. I wish I was Brian Enton. It's Friday. We're live. So let's get after it. He's younger. He's smarter. He's better. That hair. All right. I want to start off a little light so that we can get into what's really heavy here. And again, it's, it is a call to decency. This one-year-old kid dies. Congress goes home. Now, yes. Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.